Kia this program is brought to you by Wellington Access Radio. Wellington Access Radio, make your voice heard. Kia ora everyone, welcome to B-Side Stories. You're listening to Wellington Access Radio. Um, we're sitting on 106.1 FM. If you've dialed in by accident, save that to your bookmarks because you're going to want to find us every evening, every Tuesday evening at five for the stories of the people who make Wellington tick. Woohoo! My name is Sapir. I'm here with my co-host, Laura. Hi, Laura. Hi, Sapir. What's going on today, Laura? I'm really excited for today's show, and I've got some great guests. And also, I want to give you a chance to talk about and play some music from your current obsession, which is the upcoming festival, Cuba Dupa. Oh, I just, I look forward to it every year. January ticks over and I go, oh, guys, oh, guys, it's two and a half months until Cuba Dupa. Um, clear your weekends. Uh, don't book anything at the end of March because it's coming. So uh, in particular, I'm really, really looking forward to local bands uh, doing their thing. Yeah. Uh, and you can find, oh, I just, I can't believe it. You can find Glass Vaults this weekend. At Cuba Dupa. Oh, epic. Yeah, so it's going to be crazy. Should, do you want to hear a song now or, or later? No, I don't want to hear a song now. Yeah, that's what I thought. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I do want to tease the fact that it's going to be a bit of local music on the show, that we're going to be hearing Cuba Dupa, uh, you know, previews on the show, and I'm excited about that. Yeah, it's going to be huge. Um, Cuba Dupa's great. starts at about noon on, on Saturday and noon again on Sunday. Um, and you can't drive, so don't park. Walk in, cycle in, um, and and just explore all of what Cuba Dupa has to offer. It's it's wild. It's just a crazy thing. It's good. You don't need to plan. You don't need to look at the program. Just mm. show up and have a wonder. It's a beautiful thing. I I have a very very exciting guest in the second half of B Side Stories, so you have to keep listening for the second half. We're talking to a gorilla crafter straight from the underground, a woman who's been covertly decorating the city's infrastructure in colorful knitwear. So we're going to learn all about yarn bombing. That was the best teaser ever. <laughs> I love the concept of covert knitting. <laughs> um, and, but first, we have to talk about climate change. Yesterday, the, clim- uh, the prime minister even... The Prime Minister accepted a petition calling for an end to oil and gas exploration and saying she is actively considering the issue. And in a week that is full of climate change, we're very happy to chat to James Barber from Oil Free Wellington, who's working on planning a rally for climate justice to coincide with the 2018 New Zealand Petroleum Conference in Wellington next week. Hey, James, welcome to the show. Kia ora. Thanks for having me. So... What is the Petroleum Conference? Can you explain that? Okay, so that's been running for several years now, and what has happened is it's an annual event run by a industry association called PEPANS, Petroleum Exploration and Production Association New Zealand. And every year thus far, the annual conference has seen announcements of new areas of land and sea open to oil and gas exploration. So over the past several years, we've seen 40,000 kilometres squared open to oil and gas exploration, onshore and offshore. And 
these conferences also provide a guess you could say an opportunity for these businesses to network to get in touch with different people and to grow their businesses and of course at a time of climate crisis this is a big problem this is exactly the industry which should be winding down rather than gearing up right and i think that's the feeling more and more in new zealand so what is the point of your rally and and the blockade that you're organizing okay cool so the key thing with oil free wellington central to us is an idea of climate justice and what we're calling for is we're calling to deal with climate change in a way which both creates a sustainable society but also a fair society so we need to deal with climate change but also make sure that we don't make the current social and economic problems worse worse because there's a lot of people who are badly off so t- two of the key things we're actually calling for is a just transition for workers in the industry because it's not these people's fault that these industries are unsustainable so we're calling on a just transition for workers in this industry but we're also calling for the people who are most at risk from climate change so we're looking at predominantly indigenous people we're talking about people who have been kind of given the smallest slice of the pie so those who are least well off those are on the lowest incomes will often find the experience of climate change the worst they will feel it the worst and often these people have done the least to contribute to climate change so what we're calling for is for that people like that to be put at the hearts of any solutions to climate change so our goal with the blockade is to make a very clear statement for these two things but also that this industry can't continue we've seen as i said 40,000 square kilometers open for exploration and we can't burn all the oil and gas and coal which we've already found let alone be exploring for more if we want to avert a climate crisis right so explain to me what what is a blockade okay so the last couple of oil summits have seen really escalating protests so in 2015 we saw a human blockade of the conference when it was happening at Sky City people sitting down trying to block the entrances mm. in 2016 sorry in 2017 in New Plymouth Taranaki we saw an escalation of that so that was a human chain of people blocking all the entrances eventually it got to the point after the conference had been delayed for several hours that the conference delegates were escorted through neighboring businesses and alleyways around the blockade line of protesters. Mm. So we're talking completely non-violent protests, completely non-violent blockades, but are putting ourselves in the way of these people saying that this industry can't continue. Yeah. And you're saying you've seen these escalate, do you see more and more people participating? We see more and more people participating and we see a firmer view from people willing to actually put themselves physically in the way of the oil and gas industry and say that this is something which can't continue. Are they taking any risk legally like could they be arrested? In 20 Kura. Ah, my friend Michelle, my comrade that appears to be in the neighboring studio. <laughs> could Let's we bring perhaps her in. 
Michelle Ducat is going to join us to Sorry, also yeah. talk about the blockade. We're, I just asked James about whether the protesters are taking a legal risk. Like, is there a risk that they could be arrested if they participate in a, in a blockade? Yeah, yeah, there's always a risk of, mm-hmm. of, of that. And when Come nice and close. Yeah, there's always a risk of, of being arrested, um, but um, that's not the intention. <laughs> Our intention is to get, get in the way of business as usual, you know, and there's lots of different ways that we can do that, and you don't necessarily have to break the law to do that. Right. But um, I think there's a strong moral argument to say that, you know, when uh, the world has been put at risk by the burning of fossil fuels, it's um, an ethical duty, I suppose, to try to do your utmost to make, get in the way of business as usual. Sure. Yeah. Uh, have you both done this before? Yes. Yeah, yeah. I was um, went up to New Plymouth last year and participated in uh, the blockade of the oil summit there, um, which was really successful. Managed to um, stop business as usual for three or four hours, make it really difficult for them to get in and do their schmoozing. Mm. Yeah, that was great. Um, I I guess I wanted to ask a little a little bit of challenging questions like. Mm. I know that the government has made a commitment to be carbon neutral by 2050. So, in a way, can't can't we just kind of relax a little bit and just leave them to it? Well, if you listen to the oil industry this morning, um, they're going back to the same old messages that they've been uh, giving us for the last 20 years. You know, you know, what's the hurry? Uh, we still need the fuel. What about jobs? Um, we don't have time, you know, we need to take action as fast as we can. And the oil industry and the gas industry uh, have been deliberately putting barriers into the way of action um, in New Zealand and all over the world. Mm. You know. I guess the other thing, of course, is that we can look at some countries which are doing really well in terms of their sort of, say, their localised greenhouse gas emissions. So, like, how many cars are on the road, whether they're electric, how many trains, buses they have, that sort of stuff. But let's look at, say, Norway. Now, Norway has, is doing amazing stuff in terms of their local carbon-neutral world. Mm. But they're doing that by exporting and making millions out of exporting oil. So it doesn't, the, the climate doesn't care where the oil is burnt. It doesn't matter where it's burnt. And the problem is, is... There's already 40,000 square kilometres open for exploration. The government has not said anything about stopping that. In fact, they've categorically denied it up until now. Mm-hmm. They've only tentatively talked about stopping further exploration. But as I've said before, we can't afford to burn all the fossil fuels that we've already found, let alone be allowing more exploration to continue. So, yeah, it's great that the government's talking about carbon neutrality. It's great that the government's talking about rail links between Auckland and Tauranga and all sorts of places. It's great that they're talking about public transport. It's great that they're talking about electric cars. It's great that they're talking about just transitions. But that's not enough if you keep digging up fossil fuels and it doesn't matter where those are burnt, here or in another country. Along those lines, I'll... I mean... You use Norway as an example, and we kind of like we kind of look at them and think they've got like kind of a good thing going on. Like they're making they're making heaps of cash. The government gets heaps of revenue. 
And in a way, you could make the argument, somebody is going to dig oil out of the ground. Why can't we cash in on it? Well, I suppose <laughs> I think we've, we've thought about this a lot because in, um, when the, the previous government started to actively take this argument, so let's, let's see if we can make... Uh, expanding our oil and gas industry, an important part of our economy, and grow our economy that way. Uh, there were people who argued, oh, aren't we just being nimby? Are we just saying not in our backyard? You know, we want other people to have uh, suffer the consequences of, of um, this, those sacrifice zones where oil drilling and gas ex um, happens. Uh, but by us saying no here um, does not mean more is going to be uh, drilled anywhere else it's um we're not and by us saying yes here it's not going to say they're going to suddenly stop um drilling for oil in the niger delta mm. there's no, it's not an equivalency there um but by saying no here we can stand in solidarity with all of those people who are at the front lines of those places which have been abused for so long mm. um, and we, we can say we're doing our wee bit here yeah. we can look at say for example our pacific neighbors and we can talk about being both a good neighbour, but also actually respecting the history of things which has happened. So if we look at countries like Nauru, which have been completely and utterly stuffed over by this sort of going around digging stuff up, largely white people going around digging stuff out of non-white people's land, um, part of that is also, I think, respecting that history and actually acknowledging it and trying to make amends. So... If we're actually going to do the right thing, the answer is no. We can't say, let's keep digging up fossil fuels. We need to actually put, draw a very, very clear line in the sand and start making amends for everything which has happened. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think you make a good point when you talk about it doesn't matter where, doesn't matter where that oil or gas or coal is being burned. Like, we're all in the same atmosphere we're all experiencing climate change and um we have to take a stand at some point and say leave it in the ground um so i can really get behind that message what what i wanted to ask is like who who shows up for the rally what kind of people come along and participate that's a really diverse um a really diverse group of people who are coming along this time we've got um the super grands uh there's a critical mass bike rally, uh, uh, two groups who are organising. Uh, we've got uh, people who are coming from organisations like the Pacific Panthers, from Auckland Peace Action, from um, um, there'll be members of Manawhenua there, uh, there'll be people um, from coming from Auckland and Whanganui and Manawatu and mm. Christchurch and Dunedin. So it's um, really, yeah. yeah. Mm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> people really care, yeah. So that's huge. So is it, what's the network that allows that to happen? Are there um, oil-free sort of activist groups elsewhere in the country that sort of help make these rallies come together? Well, the thing is, is that there is oil exploration happening off the east coast of the South Island, the east coast of North Island, and pretty much the entire west coast of North Island. So there have been a lot of communities which have been affected by deep sea and at sea oil and gas exploration, but there are also communities affected by onshore oil and gas exploration, for example, Taranaki. So there are lots of 
different communities. And when the offshore stuff started really ratcheting up in 2013, lots of groups were formed all around the country. Mm. So there, it's great to have so many different groups coming from all over the show. Mm. It's great to have, most recently we got... Um, some confirmation that Unions Wellington will be attending the rally. And so it's great to have people from all sorts of backgrounds, both political backgrounds, activist backgrounds, union backgrounds, parents. There will be probably kids there. There will definitely be kids there on the Monday, the 26th, and probably Tuesday, the 27th. We have got people from all over the show. So it's great to have such a show of solidarity. And that is really humbling to also remember how many years uh, people have been working on this. Uh, so it might be, if, um, I was really humbled to, to recognise that uh, in North Taranaki and Waitara, uh, Friends of the Waitara River, for instance, have been trying to look at the discharge from the Motunui plant. Um, and that uh, claim went to the Waitangi Tribunal back in 1983. Uh, and Fiona Clark, who was one of the people um, who was there, I'm... I'm don't know if she was there right at the very beginning, but she's documented that um, photographically. Uh, she'll be speaking at the Douse, uh, because there, there'll also be um, a series of discussions that have been organised by the Frack Free um, network of organisations, um, and they'll be exploring what does it mean to move beyond oil and gas. Uh, so that'll be from 10 to 5pm on, on the Sunday. Mm. This Sunday? Yeah. This Sunday at the Douse? Yeah. Great. Um, Gas is an interesting one because the government has been standing up and saying gas is a transition fuel. We need it to start to move away from coal and petroleum. Um, How do you respond to arguments like that? Well, the first point is it's bollocks. The if you <laughs> well, in terms of like emissions profiles and somewhat sort of jargonistic terms like that, if we look at things like fracking, and if we look at methane leakage, which happens at fracking plants, it's not a transition fuel. It's got just as high an emissions profile as, in some cases, coal potentially. If you're looking at methane, because methane is a very powerful gas. Um, probably best not to get bogged down in the jargon about mm. which particular gas is more potent and units in the atmosphere and stuff like that. But no, gas is not a way forward. As I say, we've got a very clear amount of fossil fuels we're able to burn, so we can't keep exploring for more, be it coal, oil or gas. And if we, if we were to go down that path of investing in gas as a transition fuel, we, we lock in that technology for the, you know, that you're investing in hard infrastructure that people want to last 10, 20, 30 years eh, to, to, to get their returns on that. So it's, it's a sort of false um, economy. Yeah, and so why do that when there's the opportunity for genuinely sustainable infrastructure which doesn't have these massive local impacts? So if you look at fracking and the effect on the local communities in places like Taranaki and these massive wider environmental impacts which have these massive social impacts as well if you look at the effects of climate change, let's just actually start developing renewable resources which can be consulted with the local community, because there are lots of different options when it comes to renewable resources. Let's do that rather than locking in more fossil fuels. Um, are those alternative technologies, is that what you have in mind when you talk about uh, creating a transition for workers who are in the oil and gas industry? It's not up to us 
to dictate how that should happen. But in terms of what we have in mind, perhaps actually the best place for that would be to talk to the unions themselves. So the Council of Trade Unions has a really strong just transition policy. They have a just transition working group which is working along those lines. So actually talking to the unions and the workers themselves is perhaps the best idea around that. But absolutely that sort of thing renewable resources is an option and one thing which we was reported on years ago was coal action network Aotearoa's jobs after coal report which was in 2015 20, yep, 2015 and that was a very thorough breakdown of job and industry options for the west coast of the south island mm. which is largely which is kind of suffering from the boom and bust nature of a coal-based economy mm -hmm. for the last hundred years. So there are options there. There, there has been research by, done by activist groups like Coal Action Network. There are union groups working on this sort of thing, like the Council of Trade Unions, who have a just transition working group. So that stuff is happening. Mm. But it's not up to us to say that it should be happening exactly this way, because we're not the ones in those jobs. Sure. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I wanted to kind of ask about a solution, and one of the solutions that hopefully this government is working towards and has been floated around a lot is like a zero carbon act or some sort of national plan that will get us towards carbon neutral uh, by 2050, which is the goal of some of these uh, organizations. Um, do you think that's a a good start or um, that would put us on the right path? Or do you have a strong opinion on <laughs> Zero Carbon Act? I don't know personally many of the details of the Zero of, of, of the Act and the proposal, I'm, um, but I'm really open to, to anything that is going to help um, us move towards a just and a fair transition away mm. from fossil fuels. So I suppose if those were core components of, of that mm. sort of Act. It would be good to stop the political football from going this way and that way and that way and that way. To be honest, actually, as far as oil and gas and coal and that has been concerned, it hasn't really been a political football with Labour and National. They've both maintained a pretty solid exploration for oil, gas and coal outlook until now. But we still have yet to see what the new government will actually do. Who knows? Maybe they'll just keep opening up more areas for exploration. We wait with bated breath to see <laughs> how it will all unravel. Uh, tell me more about the um, Rally for Climate Justice. Uh, how can people learn more? Um, and what, what's the critical details for getting, getting involved? Okay, we're using uh, our traditional social media. We've got a Facebook event, so that will be keeping people up to date through that. We've got a website, the Rally for Climate Justice, which has got a full breakdown of, of associated events around um, the days. Um, we've been describing it as a week of climate justice uh, because uh, on the Sunday, as I've just said, we've got uh, the moving on from oil and gas, which has been organised by the Frack Free Network. On Monday, 350 are organising an opening ceremony for the Rally for Climate Justice, which is going to start at 12.15 at Frank, Frank Kitts Park, and that's a separate Facebook event as well, as is moving on from oil and gas. Uh, and then we've got the Rally itself on, on the Tuesday. Uh, we'll be having a briefing 
at 6pm at uh, the ba- Central Baptist Church on Balcott Street. Um, there's a hall there, uh, so people are welcome to come along at 6pm there. And on we'll, Monday? On Monday, yeah. And um, there'll be opportunities to hear all about it, uh, to work out how you feel most comfortable participating in this event. Uh, we... <laughs> we run, we call, we call it a kind of traffic light system so that, that people, um, is green, orange and red. So that's in that sense of, of feeling if you want to place yourself in an arrestable position, um, you potentially would choose to be in the red space. Um, if you don't want to be arrested at all, you might choose to be in a green zone mm. or, or a green um, occupation, but you're, everybody's welcome and free to change um, as they go through. Mm-hmm. Uh, There'll be a um, space where we'll be giving people cups of tea and coffee and feeding them through the day. Uh, So we hope um, it'll be uh, a really uplifting event in a way, eh? that that through coming together to get in the way of business as usual will feel um, an amazing sense of solidarity, um, get to meet some new people, make some new relationships, um, and that different parts of the community will be able to express uh, what climate justice means to them. Uh, we are excited um, because we're pretty sure that we think um, the Petroleum Summit is going to be held at the TSB Arena. Uh, they, uh, because um, these protests have been ramping up over the last five years, yeah. uh, for this year they have not released uh, the venue. Huh. Um, so that will be interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So h- how do you find out in the end? Oh, I suppose I'll tell us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We tried asking nicely a couple of months ago. But yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so Oil Free Wellington, find those Facebook events, and you can choose the level of participation that's right for you. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah. Yeah, if you want to ride your bike, you could take part in that critical mass bike ride. They're going to be meeting at Frankens Park from 7.30. Um, there'll be a kind of pre-work you know, if you can only go come before work. Um, if you want to come in at lunchtime, um, we're going to have speakers from sort of 10 to 12. Uh, but you come and just show support if you can only pop in. Um, that would be really lovely. Yeah. Oh. Well, amazing job organizing all of that. Um, all of those rallies, events, uh, parades, uh, blockades that will be unrolling over next week. Uh, very good luck and um, we hope to see you there thank you thank you thanks very much oil free wellington uh, michelle and james uh, talking about the blockade of the oil summit just one week from today sapir can you play us out with a song absolutely i can um in like a perfect wellington weekend of like a lot of art a lot of culture and a lot of politics i feel Um, So this is Glass Vaults, it's called The New Happy, and you can see them this weekend at Cupa Dupa. Wild.